Morning, church family. Well, keep your Bibles open there. Uh, let's keep your Bibles open at John 17 and keep your finger in the text and ready to follow along. And um, we are in part three of a three-part journey through this chapter, John 17. Um, as Grant said, a prayer of Jesus. And, and the setting uh, was the night before Jesus' crucifixion. This is the last night of his earthly journey. The next day he will be killed on the cross. And, uh, and so this, this evening before, he's with his followers. He's in, had the last supper. He's imparted some last instructions. And then Jesus prays this prayer. And so we've taken uh, the past two Sundays and this morning to look in three parts um, at this prayer that we sometimes call the high priestly prayer. And that was the setting with this, with this seemingly dark day uh, impending. But church family, do we know that God is at work for our good and his glory? Even in these even seemingly difficult times and difficult circumstances, the next day would, would certainly be a dark day or would certainly seem to be a dark day. Jesus would be killed. We see in scripture that Peter, one of his closest friends, would deny even knowing him. The disciples would be uh, uh, kind of gone into hiding. And, and in, in, that, in the face of that, in the face of, of that feeling, environment, atmosphere of Friday, with that all coming, Jesus' last public prayer that evening before that we're reading here in John 17, his last public prayer, his longest recorded prayer, even in the face of that seeming darkness, Jesus knows the resurrection is coming. And Jesus uh, knows that the resurrection will renew the faith of his, of his people, of his followers, that their faith will be renewed. Jesus knows that as he leaves, he sends the Holy Spirit, God himself, to live within his followers. So Jesus knows that the resurrection will will liven the faith of his people, that the Spirit will empower them to fulfill their mission, and that that result of of Jesus' death and Jesus' leaving in that seemingly dark day, the result will be that many, many, many will come to find new life in Jesus through his people. So Jesus knows all that, right? And I, I want that to be I would love that to be our perspective of life. I would love to uh, approach the things that we go through individually or as a church family. I would love us to have that perspective that despite all of the recent difficulties and challenges that we face individually and as a church family and the things that we've gone through, despite all of that, and and instead of, of hoping things will go back the way they were, I see Faith Church pressing on. I, I pray that Faith Church will look forward, looking to the future with hope, knowing that God is at work doing something new. Amen? So let's look at this prayer in John 17 again, starting at verse 20. Jesus praying, I do not ask for these only, the previous chunk of our, of our scripture that we looked at last Sunday, he was, he was definitely praying for those, his disciples that were with him at that time and that he was leaving behind. And there were certainly things as he prayed that last section 
that were applicable to us as well as his followers today. But this is incredible, this line of his prayer, verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask prayers for these only, my followers that are here on earth now, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So, I mean, this is incredible to think about. Jesus' earthly journey is coming to a close, his last public prayer, his longest public prayer, and he thinks of you and me. He prays for everyone that will come to follow Jesus. Verse 21, he pray, what does he pray? He prays to the Father and says, I pray that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The believer's, um, believer's unity results from being united in God. We talked a little bit about this last week, that as we seek Jesus individually, as you and I pursue relationship with Jesus and know him more and more, that as we draw near to him, then, then we are drawn closer to one another as well. As each of us pursues Jesus, our unity is increased. Our unity is a result of, of us being together in our, in our pursuing God. And unity, oneness, notice how many times he said one in that prayer? Did you read that? I pray that they will be one. I pray that they will be one. As you and I are one, I pray that they will be one. That he, he desires this oneness, this collective unity for us. And that's supernatural work. That's something that God does as we draw near to him. So, and, and, so, and what is it based in? It's, it's based in God. That All through Jesus' prayer, he's talking about what is true in the relationship within the Trinity. The Trinity, the, the, the word we use to explain a three-in-one God. One God who, who is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There is a unity within the Trinity. You think about Father, Son, and Spirit. There is a unity of, of common purpose and mutual love and togetherness. And so Jesus' prayer is saying, as that is true, as there is oneness in, in the Father, I want there to be oneness with my people. So Jesus is praying, and uh, his prayer gives us some insights into what this unity will look like. As you draw near to Jesus, as I draw near to Jesus, the supernatural work of God will be to draw us closer together in oneness, in unity, and this prayer has been full of things that that will look like. Verse 13 said, we will be filled with joy, that as we pursue Jesus and we come together in oneness, there will be joy no matter the circumstances, in the face of whatever circumstances. Verse 17 says that as we, as God does this unity work in us, as Jesus prays us toward oneness, that we will be rooted in the truth of God's word and that we will be sanctified for serving others, sanctified, transformed, made into new people and set apart for what he wants us to do and be, who he wants us to be. And then we get to verse 21 today, and there's more. As Jesus is working out this unity in us, as this is clearly his desire, he's parting words, he's going, 
He's going to ascend to heaven soon. He's leaving behind these instructions for his disciples. He's saying this last prayer, and unity and this oneness is central to his thinking at this time. And in verse 21, he tells us another thing that's a result of this oneness. As Jesus works out this unity in us, our witness to the world is strengthened. Verse 21 says that they also are, that the world may believe that you have sent me. As we are in union with God, we are increasingly united with one another, and that strengthens the way we look to the world. When the world looks at the church, remember the church is not a building or an event, a time or a place, the church is people. As the world looks at the church and sees that as we draw near to God, that we have been drawn into oneness one another, that reveals God to them. The world sees that, that Jesus is the sent one of God as a result. So our witness, our, our, our representing God to the world is strengthened as our unity in, is supernaturally increased by God's work in us. I came across a, a, a quote this week from Thomas Manton as I studied this passage, and his, his quote is this. It's on the screen, I believe. Divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. Divisions in the church bring about atheism, lack of belief in God in the world. And so one of the commentators who I was reading this week and studying for this passage, he said, taking that quote, he said, the opposite is true as well. Let's consider that the opposite is true. That unity in the church brings about what in the world? Belief, faith, recognizing that Jesus is the true sent one of God. If division in the church breeds atheism in the world, he wanted us, this commentator wants us to consider this morning that unity in the church builds belief in the world. That the world will see Jesus to be the Son of God, the rescuer. And so, you know, uh, there are, are, are many ways that our unity, that our oneness as a church family could be displayed. There are big ways and small ways and, um, and, and, and I, I know I keep talking about this, but this seemingly small way of our potential oneness in the face of the difficulties of COVID and COVID protocols and whether to wear masks or not, uh, this is seemingly a small area. And yet, church family, I've got to tell you, it's not a small area. It's not a small indicator of our oneness because there are churches all over the country stuck in division over this. And so I said it last week, and I just have to say it again, that in the midst of these um, various and conflicting um, uh, uh, opinions and politics and preferences, uh, in the midst of our different thoughts and our different opinions about this, um, I, I'm so thankful, Faith Church, that we have chosen unity, that, that we have chosen to prioritize being a church family over div division, that we've prioritized moving forward with ministry and seeking what God has for us and how can we keep honoring him and how can we keep doing the work of God in our community. I'm so thankful that we've chosen um, that as a priority. And so um, on campus, when we're gathered together on campus, we're going to uh, continue to wear masks and we're so thankful 
for your, your flexibility and cooperation there. And then when we're off campus, you know, what do we do when we're off campus? We want to gather as a church family in smaller groups or, or in life groups or, or for, for a meeting or for a study. You know, on campus, we're asking you to wear a mask and we're thankful for your cooperation. Off campus, you know, what does that look like as a follower of Jesus? And without us telling you what to do, uh, you know, here's a, here's a thought. What if we interact with one another? What if we in, go to each other individually? What if someone in our life group or, or whatever meeting is trying to happen or wants to get together or you're trying to decide, can we keep meeting? Do we need to stop meeting? Do we need to go to Zoom? Should we meet outside? Should we wear masks? Are we not wearing masks? It's in a home. It's out in the community. What, what if we started with talking with each other what if, what if one person interacts individually with everyone in the group to get a sense for where they're at, their comfort level, their caution level with COVID, their, 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 their willingness to wear a mask or not, their preference about the meeting location? What if we did the extra time and work to talk with each other about where each other was at? And then what if in order to continue ministry, in order to continue being a family, in order to continue caring well for one another, what if we then took that information from various individuals and figured out what was best for that group? You know, care about each other enough to go, okay, we have this thought, we have this opinion, we have this preference, we have this, we have this struggle, we have this uh, health issue, we have this to consider, and, and now we're going to thoughtfully and carefully and prayerfully consider each other and decide a way forward so that we don't shut down ministry or continue in isolation that COVID has brought about too much relational isolation where people are stuck at home and not in relationship with, another, with one another. We need to move past that season of isolation. There needs to be a way to continue to care for one another. And so we talk to each other. We find a way forward that works for, for oneness. And then I would just ask, communicate that to your group. Let them know ahead of time where the meeting's going to be and what the expectations are going to be related to COVID protocols and masks. Just, just communicate it so that they know, so people that show up know what to expect. Does that make sense? So that, so that people that show up know what to expect. And, and I hope that you'll consider all the above. Is it a season of not meeting and instead we need to be calling each other and texting each other? Is it a season of going on Zoom because of, of the different challenges within the group? Is it a season of meeting outside while we still can or, or under a covered patio no matter what time of year in Oregon? Or, or how are we going to make a way forward together? That's what our encouragement is. Seeking oneness, seeking unity. Uh, because because as we look in, the, in Scripture and we ask God to shape us and make us into his people that are growing and learning and being more and more like him, we see that one way unity is demonstrated is our desire to humbly serve one another, to learn to count others more significant than ourselves. We see on the screen Philippians chapter 2, and, and this uh, in the context here, um, the writer is saying, you know, hey, consider Jesus. Consider what Jesus has done. Consider the way Jesus approached people. And having that same mind as Jesus, having that same attitude as Jesus, it says here, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
I think there's no better place for this to play out than, than having a church family. In having a church family, God's given us a place and a people with whom we can try this out, where we can put into action seeking oneness, seeking unity by humbly putting others ahead of ourselves. Let's keep going in the passage. Verse 24. Father, Jesus continues his prayer, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, believers in Jesus, I pray that they will be with me where I am. Jesus knows he's about to be killed, be buried, be resurrected from the dead, and then sometime later ascend into heaven where he is currently present at the right hand of God. And Jesus prays, I desire that believers in me will be where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He says, he prays that they will see my glory. And, and there's a lot going on with the word see, not just see with our eyes. I think there's more going on here that Jesus is praying that we will see his glory. Not just that we will see with our eyes, but that we will observe with a sustained attention that we will see his glory not once, but that we will continue to see Jesus in all his glory. And, and then this idea of seeing also includes the idea of entering into something, experiencing something, not just kind of knowing about Jesus' glory, but entering into it and experiencing it. Church family, do we often enough recognize and bask in the glorious truth that our salvation in Jesus being rescued from the dead and brought to new life, being forgiven of sin and being brought into relationship with God, do we think often enough that our salvation in Jesus means we will enter into his presence when this earthly life is done, that we will experience his glory and be with him in heaven? And then I want you to look at the end of that verse 24. Notice this. At the end of verse 24, Jesus says, You loved me, Father, before the foundation of the world. We gotta, I want us to notice this, that, that love and interaction between the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love and interaction and communication between Father, Son, and Spirit never began. It never had a starting point. Love and interaction and communication between Father, Son, and Spirit has existed from eternity past and will always exist. God is. And love and interaction with, within the Trinity just is. And then, because God has become a God who pursues and comes near to us and doesn't leave us stuck in our sin and separation from him, because there is love and communication within the Godhead, our pursuing God comes after us to share that love with us. That we get to experience that love. That he's not just a God who sits on high and goes, man, those people are messed up. Praise God that the love that exists from eternity comes to us. Verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. 
I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, here it is, that the love with which you have loved me, Jesus says to the Father, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love that has existed from eternity past comes to us. As Jesus, this is another result of, of, of Jesus' unity work in us, church family, followers of Jesus. As we draw near to God, God is bringing us closer together. And, and as, as Jesus is working out this oneness it, it, among Christians, another result, verse 26 tells us, is that we will experience the indwelling love of God. That as we pursue him, as he brings about increased unity and oneness Within, within, among believers, one thing we will experience is <clears throat> God's love and God's presence. So Jesus is praying here. Jesus is praying, Father, I want my believers, my followers, to enjoy your love daily. Jesus is praying here that we might enjoy the love of the Father in our daily experience, not just something we look back to in our past. I think God loved me once. I think he rescued me from sin and death. But, but Jesus' prayer here is that we might enjoy the love of the Father in a, in a, in a new and everyday experience. And I think that God loves us in many ways, but I think one of the ways that God loves us is through one another, is, is through church family, is through that increasing oneness that we have with one another. Look on the screen with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What does the God of all comfort do with that comfort? Keep reading verse 4. That God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. Why does he comfort us? Well, we receive his love and comfort that way, but what else? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we received from God. God's God, the God of all comfort pours out his comfort on you, and one of the reasons he comforts you is so that you can share that comfort with those that are hurting and need his comfort as well. I think we could just insert the word love in that verse, that the God of the universe who comes after you and wants to rescue you from sin and death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God loves you, and he pours out his love upon you. And why does he pour out his love upon you? So that you'll know his love. And so that you'll love others with the love you've received. So, I'm going to wrap up here in a moment. And in a moment, we get to hear from someone who, who God is at work in their life and who um, is going to share with us their experience in, life, in a life group. But I want to ask this question then as we, as we um, get ready to hear that. Who shows up for you, church family? Like even in just the last week or two, in my life and in interacting with some of you and with knowing some of you, I was thinking and I was so thankful for the examples I saw of, of people who show up for one another. You know what I mean? So I want you to ask yourself that real quick. Who shows up for you in life's ups and downs, in the big moments, 
in the big milestones and meaningful stuff, but also in the little moments of life, in the conversations, in the coming and going. Who shows up for you when you need help, when you need support, when you need prayer, when there's something to celebrate, when there's a birthday to sing? You know, whatever it is, when there's a a difficult situation, when we mourn with those who mourn, when we need a hug, when we want to share a meal, who shows up for you? And I know, and I'm so thankful that many of you have the family that you grew up with, uh, or extended family, or family that still live in your house, and and that's some of the people that that you may think of that show up for you, and I'm glad for that. But I've also interacted with numerous people over numerous years as part of a church who would say that the people who show up for them, that have sometimes shared with me that the people that they are, are, are their family are sometimes more their church family. Fellow believers in Jesus. So who shows up for you? Where, does, where do you experience the oneness of family? The, the humble serving one another. Where do you experience God's love through other people? Um, I think there's a lot of great, important reasons to be part of a local church. I think there's a lot of great, important reasons to be here on Sunday mornings for worship gathering. And we could list all the things that that occur, that happen, that are important, that are good for us, that are reasons to be part of a church family. But you know what? I'm not sure there's any, any of them that are better than having a church family. Showing up on Sundays and interacting with those who also love Jesus. What a blessing. Being part of a church means being part of a family and the opportunity to be together. And so we often say, you know, to you all, we often encourage you that this is great. Gathering on Sundays is great. And as soon as you're able to, health-wise or other circumstances-wise, come do it in person. Because it's important and it's great. And, and, but then we also encourage you, this big group is great, but make it smaller. If this is your church home, if you see God at work at Faith Church, if this, is where, if this is where God wants you to connect and grow in Jesus and find others and live on mission and live out the ways of Jesus in our community, then I want you to make this big group smaller by connecting with a group of people in our church family where you can know them and they can know you. And, and of course, one of the places that we recommend then is a life group. Make the church smaller by connecting with a life group. We think it's the way, we think it's one of the uh, key ways that we can live out this command to love one another, Jesus' command to love one another. We think it's one of the best places in our church family to live out this opportunity of being family. So um, with that in mind, I want to invite Pastor Ed up and Bruce Bull, come on up. And uh, this is a fun way to kind of wrap up our our thoughts on this topic is to hear from uh, these two brothers in Christ. So come on up. Good morning. I'm Pastor Ed, and this is my good friend, Bruce Bull, and I'm so thankful he was willing to share because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. But the reason I thought of you, Bruce, is he on the camera okay, or do we need to move him over? Come over this way, Bruce. I want to make sure they see your face more than mine. 
Um, but whenever I talk to Bruce and I've been ministered to him, he's very realistic. He's going to tell me exactly what he thinks and feels. And what I like about his story is that the decision to join a small group, because he engaged before we called them life groups, exemplifies what may be true for a lot of you. It's not easy. It's not easy. And I think that may come out, perhaps. But before we get to that, since some folks don't know you, Bruce, why don't you uh, share um, uh, what you do occupationally? How long have you been coming to faith? And then give us a highlight about your family. So I've been coming to faith for about 20 years, which would surprise me when I looked back at that. Um, but what Ed really wants you to know about me is I am not a particularly social person, that I don't gravitate to relationships. And I think that is a, probably a subset of people, either in the audience or on Zoom or YouTube or whatever right now. And socialization just doesn't come naturally to me, never has. In fact, those who know me joke that I did a long time prepping for COVID because living in a hug-free environment, socially distanced, I can do very, very well. And I joked with Robin, Ed better not try to hug me when I go up there. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, in light of that little personality thing, though, tell them, okay, well, what kind of occupation do you have that maybe you don't have to be such a socialite? Uh, I work from home. I've had a small business for about 15 years. I have a telephone. I have a computer. I do Zoom meetings, and I do not interact personally and face-to-face -face with anybody. So it works out just perfect. For them as well as me. Just perfect, yeah, yeah. So I assume you are single, alone, a bachelor, living in the remote area of uh, Polk County somewhere. Partially true, I am not single. <laughs> Robin is my wife. Okay, and two kids. And, and funny, I mean, she's the exact opposite. She knows people, people know Robin. Um, I marvel at the skill set of, of Ed and Robin and others who can connect names and relationships with people because that is not something that I gravitate to. And with that, I was amazed when Bruce said, you know, well, you tell the story, why you decided to join a small group then? Yeah. Many years ago, our church went through the book, 40 Days of Purpose by Rick Warren. And during that time, we were all encouraged, actually strongly encouraged to be part of a, a time-limited small group. And Robin and I, like most people in, in the congregation, joined a small group and we focused on the book and the sermons supported all of that. But that was very safe. It was a time limited period, right? And so I could get up for that knowing that there was an end in sight. But at the end of that, two things occurred. One, we were all encouraged to consider small group, being part of a small group, continuing in small groups. Um, and the second thing I realized, and more importantly, is I learned that I had things I could share, but more impo just as importantly, things I could learn from other people. And despite the social anxiety that I would get on whenever our group met, just having to get in the car to go to somebody's house and sitting with people I didn't know, at the end of that time, I was very aware that 
it was worth it. You know, that transactional cost, one that comes to your mind, the social anxiety and all of that, was it worth the relationship building, the communication, the understanding, the getting to know people and having people getting to know you? So at the end of that time limited period on 40 days, my wife and I decided, and I think we were uh, influenced by the Lord to host, facilitate a small group, and we did that. In fact, we have done that for uh, 13 years, I think, is about the number. Dave, I looked back and saw some emails from 2008. So I think it's been 13 years our group has been in existence. And people have come and gone in that group since, but there's still a small group of us who are the original uh, members. You know, I, I find it amazing because one, you said yes years and years ago to be in one. And now of all the groups of that era when we started, uh, yours is probably the only one in existence. Mm. You're still in it despite the way you have given us a picture of, of Bruce. Yeah, uh, and I think Bruce has changed. I know Bruce has changed over that time because uh, I look forward to our group meetings now. I really love the relationships that we have amongst the members of our group, the supporting, you know, what Pastor Derek was just talking about, that supporting and that uh, group dynamic. Getting, and, and they've accepted me, and I guess maybe that's the miraculous piece here, is they've, okay, we can handle your type A personality that's very structured, and we have others who blend in with all sorts of different skill sets. So it is a unique uh, compilation of individuals that we always credit the Lord putting together because none of us would have picked each other to be part of that group initially. So, you know, what, what I like, some people, uh, you know, shy away from even coming to a worship service, let alone to a small group, because they, they think they have to be somebody other than themselves. They um, have to put on a, uh, a social um, appearance of, of being outgoing. And I think Bruce has been true to himself. And what I liked when I came to your group meeting out by the river there, the discussion they had on a format that gave him freedom when the group came to an end. And he's less a socialite where others could talk late into the evening. And they had a great discussion, much like the mask uh, consideration. And even though there was joking a little because of each individual personality, uh, there was a great deal of respect and honor to work that out. Um, and that's what I wanted you to hear. So to wrap up, Bruce, what, um, now what would you say you treasure uh, about your current group? And the relationships that I have with the group members, the support that we give each other, the understanding of who we are as we all walk this path. It's a different path for each of us, but in our Christian walk, we have things that we praise God for, there are things that we pray that we hope that will change in the future, things that we pray that we will accept in the future, all of those challenges. And being known as a member of that group and vice versa helps me. Even throughout the week, I know that we pray for each other and that's an important aspect of our life together. So, so for those who are on the low end of the social continuum, I would encourage you to give it a try. You know, we don't have any kind of forms to sign up for a group that you have to, it's not like a long-term lease. You can go try them out, and if they find one that works for you with a group of people who you can relate to, if not initially, eventually. And you'll be, 
you will become loved and you will be loved by that group and you will love them. You know, in, in fact, uh, um, uh, there may be somebody that is akin to uh, Bruce that is on the, uh, I don't want to say antisocial, not that at all. But uh, one less, of our members called it, I looked it up, isophilia is, a, I think is the, I think that's what Tammy told me I was, isophilic in terms of uh, enjoying being alone and it's something I spend 98% of my time being is alone, and it's yeah. just fine. Yeah. So. But with that said, with that said, I did hear Bruce mention that uh, he may welcome another, what do you call it, an isophilia? <laughs> Whatever. In other words, his group, they, they certainly have room for the, uh, another person or a couple. And with that said, thank you, Bruce, for you. coming and, and sharing. You know, with that said, and I think Derek made it clear, this is kind of a, a little awkward uh, time we're in with the COVID and the restrictions and groups uh, have navigated and are finding their own way. So it's a little harder to uh, uh, connect, but that's why don't hesitate. Uh, let me know if you're not in a life group, whether not that you're going to join in and jump in this week, but we want to be prepared prepared. We want to cultivate the ground so that as things start to ease up and folks are starting to feel more secure, you're ready to uh, jump in as well. And as Bruce said, it's not a long-term lease. So we encourage you to go to a couple of the groups and find one that will become family to you. So thank you.